Salutations, listeners. See you, Vallas Valeo. Valer Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Carpentarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Culp here. Action Jackson. Uh, Xmas Jackson, Flaxen Waxen. What? That was a that was a curveball. Curveball. I don't want to. I don't want to throw everything off here. Oh, I thought you said gerbil. A gerb. That was a gerbil. It was a. That was a gerbil. Are we just are we going right on Morton toes here? No, no, no. I just don't know what the what's the difference between a gerbil and a hamster. Could we cover this in the podcast at some? Actually, point? yeah, we should probably lay this podcast aside and, and really discuss the differences between gerbils and well, hamsters. I, I'm not saying we need to answer it right now. I would just like to put a pin in it and maybe eventually answer that question. I don't know if Circle I'd put back a to pin it. in a hamster. I mean, I feel like that would that's a bad sign. Is it too much? Yeah, yeah. I there there. If I saw somebody doing that, I would. Ask them to stop. Call a mental health professional. Yeah. I probably wouldn't approach that person, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't, I don't want to, like, I don't want to show my hand and, and... They're making you uncomfortable is what you're saying. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I'd be super interested in engaging with that person. Yeah. Hamster pinner. Perhaps. Perhaps. Mm. All right. So there's your Morton Toe aside. <laughs> yeah. So Wait, do, do hamsters get Morton Toes? That is actually... Maybe that's the difference. That's a good question. Hamsters get them, but, but gerbils don't. But gerbils don't. don't. Yeah. I mean, what what is the length distribution of hamster toes? Like, I don't know. what What's their longest toe? I think it's about... I think it's more about ratios. Like, your yeah. your how far extends from your... Hamster nub? Hamster hand. Yeah, and are they toes or are they ha- fingers? Handster. A handster. Ah. Uh, yes. That... So, how far the the fingers extend from the hamster? Mm. Uh, I believe the ratio between those fingers. I think that's what dictates whether or not a a hamster has a Morton toe. Yeah, yeah. All Makes right. sense. I feel I feel we've adequately covered this subject, and I am prepared to move on. Okay. What do we cover in this podcast? Uh, we watched the movie uh, The what... Devil's Own. What do we cover in this podcast? Generically, well, we will we will uh, be covering that movie. It, we will. In this podcast, we review movies and we deliver to the listener an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. We try and target movies that are not blockbuster smashes. We try not to crack up too much. We're failing at that right now. We also try and cover movies that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy if you wanted to. I would like to. Mark Wood. Yeah. Jackson Wood. Two out of three. Two out of, you don't want to get a hold of these things? I'll get a hold of them. Three out of three. There right. you go. Fractions. Bam. Unison. It's called math. Look it up. Facts. Yeah, so we, we review these movies, and we put them into our eye holes, and thus deliver to you an opinion about whether or not it's worth putting in your eye holes. Sockets, if you will. Sockets. Orbitals. I have a lot of sockets. Yeah, you 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 work with cars. <laughs> it's true, I do. <laughs> sorry uh yeah so that was a very cryptic and broken intro and you're welcome you're welcome yeah fucking (laughs) that's that's what you get that's honestly this is it's kind of your fault hey you turned it on man you signed up for this in this the 20th god 20 20th episode of the series we reviewed the movie The Devil's Own. I know that comes as a shock to you. You did not know that we reviewed that movie this week. I, I did not spoil it earlier, is what he's no trying to say. No, boy, boy. No, boy, boy. 
Yeah, okay, so so the devil's own just initial like gut. Thoughts? <sighs> yeah? yeah? Yeah, that's yeah, I get I get that. Mark? Um, I mean I'll give it like an equal huh, but not in the same it doesn't have the same emphasis. Emphasis that maybe I do some some other weeks. Oh, you'd put the emphasis on a different syllable. That is that is exactly where I would put that emphasis. Um, no, no I, I I enjoyed it. It didn't hit me in the feels, but I enjoyed it. So yeah. What about, yeah. What about you guys? Do you guys have any more color you want to add to this obscure photo that we're not spoiling? I mean, I like the color green. That's good. Yeah. Wow, Van Gogh over here. Yeah. Like in green. Mm. Well, I'm colorblind, so everything's green or blue. Allegedly. Allegedly. You can't prove that. You can't. What about red stuff? Red stuff is green stuff. Yeah, technically. Like, he has never he's never dined at Red Lobster. It's always been Green Lobster. Mm-hmm. I would not eat a Green Lobster. Or just Lobster. <laughs> he's dined at Lobster. What do you do when you approach Lobsters? I feel like Lobster has got to be I, the off-brand like, mean, Red Lobster. I don't know if it's related, but I don't eat seafood traditionally. Mm-hmm. So... Not really an issue. No. I can respect that. I but mean, it, they always told me to eat my greens when I was a kid, and I happen to eat a lot more greens than a lot of other people, probably because reds are also greens. So didn't really make sense. So technically you're healthier. Probably. No, if you were to eat seafood, though, you'd probably eat it at lobster, right? Yeah. Just, I mean, like Tussin. You know, it's like, yeah. the, it's like the off-brand Robitussin. Right. Mm. Mm. Tussin. I don't know how this is connected at all to what we started with, but I like it. Yes. I like it a lot. I feel good about it. (laughs) Uh, Getting back. Getting back uh, to The Devil's Own. Yeah. Who was in this? This, this, uh, Well, so this movie came out in 1997. Rated R. Hour and 51 minutes. I would say it deserves that R rating, not in that it's a hard R, but it's squarely within the frame of R. Meets the criteria. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, Hour and 51 it felt it. Yeah. I don't know if it felt it. Like, it didn't drag. There were definitely moments where I feel like the pacing could have been improved, but for the feel of the movie, it was appropriate. I have ADHD, so I have the attention span of a high-functioning cabbage, so I like pacing mm. to be a little faster, but it was good. It was it was solid pacing for what the movie was. I feel like cabbages would have... A good attention span. Well, they can sit still for a really long time, so that's where they've got me beat. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is I feel like if any vegetable or plant was, like, on a serious dose of Ritalin and was was hyper-focused, I feel Mm. like it'd be cabbage. Mm. Not broccoli, though. Fucking broccoli. Broccoli's all over the place. That's... Broccoli needs to get its shit together. But it's adorable, so it, you know, it helps. Well, that's the problem, is broccoli's so fucking cute, everybody forgets about its real problems. Skates then by they, and it looks, they man. date it for five or six years, it ruins lives, and then just moves on to the next schmuck. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Yeah. Broccoli, coming for you. Now, if we're talking beef and broccoli, oh, I'm all yeah. over that. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. pairing. It's real good. I mean, it has nothing to do with cabbage or attention spans, but or I, the devil's own. But I feel like the beef, <laughs> feel like the beef keeps it grounded, though. It does, but not ground beef because that's different. Well, yeah, this is semi-ground. I mean, it's you know completely sliced, unrelated. shaved. <clears throat> so the devil's own. <laughs> well, we're really all over the place today. So IMDb has this as action, crime, drama, thriller. Done. Yeah. Buttoned up. That's as tight as you could get it. The description on IMDb 
A police officer uncovers the real identity of his house guest, an IRA terrorist in hiding. Yeah. Yeah, that's those, that's those bare are, bones. Those are facts. Those are facts. I feel like that's very bare bones. Um, though, I feel like it's bare bones in a way that I don't want to expand on it. Yeah. I just feel like you should watch the movie. Yeah. If that, if that sounds interesting to you. I think any critiques I would have of that synopsis are better left after the spoiler tag. Yeah, it's really not like a spoilery movie overall. Like, I feel like somebody could describe it to you and you'd still enjoy it, but for some reason I just don't feel like anything I want to say is is going to be truly spoiler-free. Well, it felt a little bit... And, and again, this isn't spoiler, so there's there's no there's no drum beats that you can draw a direct line to, but um, like a movie like uh, like Fugitive or, or something else, also Harrison Ford. Right? It's a mid-'90s Harrison Ford film, so you it know is. what you're in for. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, who's in this movie? I believe Harrison Ford was in this. Wait, no, Harrison Ford was in this? No, he wasn't. That was Han Solo. Han oh, Solo was in this. Oh, yeah. I get those two confused all the time. Very similar facial structure. Yeah. And Kimball. And Kim, um, and Kimball. Yeah. Oh, Kim, yes. See? I remembered. Yeah. Did you see that, everybody? Good job. I just saw Mark remember. I remembered something. It happens every once it in a while. It only took me 20 episodes, but uh, <laughs> god damn it, I got it. It's kind of like seeing a unicorn. They call him Mr. Pig. Well, sort of. But the unicorn, well, this unicorn's gone. you got to wait another 20 episodes. That's fair. <laughs> I'm patient enough. Yes, yeah, so we got Harrison Ford, and this movie is, like we said, every bit of a Harrison Ford film from the mid-90s. Think of the tone of or the subject matter, or his general, like, demeanor from, like, 1991 to 1998, and you've got this movie. Yep. We've also got Brad Pitt in this movie. I don't, I'm not familiar. What else has he even been in? Yeah, I believe movie. he was the lead in Greece. You oh. know what? I th- you is could that, be right, but is that, that the movie where the Trojans fought against the, the Greeks? No, this is, uh, he, he actually beat out Olivia Newton-John for the role oh. of, of Sandy. I got it. Sandy yeah, I do, I do remember that. Yes. No, I love Brad Pitt, and this movie. Goddamn, he's just so handsome. Yeah, I mean, he's handsome in everything he does, but like, it's upsetting. It's upsetting how attractive <laughs> that guy is. It is. Like, and it's that '90s handsome too. The yes, floofy hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. all about it. I would. I would definitely whisper sweet, tender nothings in his ear. I. I would. I would give anything just. To like rub his head a little bit, just floof the hair, just mess it up. I might ask him how his day is, you know, ask him, you know, how he feels the weather is at that particular time that we might be having that conversation. That's disgusting. You're gross. Okay, keep it man. in the bedroom. What? What? No. Well, monsoon season. You're nasty. Dirty. <laughs> Dirty. Who else was in this? Um, we got Margaret Collin. She was in Independence Day. She played Jeff Goldblum's love interest in Independence Day super duper pretty she's awesome in this movie uh we've got treat williams who plays the asshole in everything i feel like this person was conjured into existence exclusively to play the sleazy asshole yeah i'm sorry treat you're probably a really nice guy in real life and you're treat you're probably an avid listener and and we would love to have you on the show or have you send us some some mail or props from your latest production but envelope burp uh, yeah, an envelope burp, that'd be fine. But I'm sorry, sir, you are the worst in the movies. Like, in a good way. You're a good actor. Your characters are terrible. Come see us. Let's talk bad guys. He plays Xander Drax in The Phantom. X-A-N-D-E-R-D-R-A-X. Xander Drax. It begins and ends with the letter X. So good. 
<laughs> He's so good. Uh, uh, who else we got? We got Mitchell Ryan, who plays the fucking boss from Liar Liar. Yeah. The old the old white dude who's all like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I did a good. That was solid. Mitchell Ryan. Yeah. What else has he been in? I mean, I'm not I'm not super familiar with Mitchell Ryan's work. Oh, he was in Gross Point Blank. On the list, by the way. Yes, actually, it's coming up pretty soon, I think. Oh, he's in Lethal Weapon as well. I love Yeah, Lethal dude, this Weapon. dude kind of popped up a lot in the 90s, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I feel like I'm throwing out all these, dude. We got motherfucking Julia Stiles oh. as a teenager. Okay, so, like, okay, so roll with me here. Julia Stiles in this movie is comparable in, like, how unexpected she is after her career took off kind of thing. As Elijah Dushku is in True Lies. Oh, yeah. Like, every time you watch True Lies, you're like, fucking Elijah Dushku is his <laughs> daughter. And you forget about it mm-hmm. until you watch it. It's the same with this movie. It's like, I always fucking forget. And then it's like, oh my god, fucking Julia, Julia Stiles is in this movie. You spend, like, the whole movie thinking, man, she's very familiar. So familiar. Almost like she's like a younger version of somebody I know. No, she did a great job, too. It was Julia Stiles. It was. It that was the. That was the person. That's who that you it knew. reminded me of. Who, oh. it, she looked like a younger, younger version of. Okay, well, she was in that movie Julia. Actually, I think she was in a movie called Julia. Was she? Yeah, I think it was Julie and Julia. Was she in that? About the the cooker. Yeah. The cooker. The cooker. Yeah. <laughs> about the cooker. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a movie about the cooker? The person who makes the foods. <laughs> it's uh, Julie and Julia. The cooker. <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so good. Uh, one more I want to I want to squeeze off before we get into um, spoiler territory. David O'Hara, who plays Stephen in Braveheart, um, the mm. crazy Irish guy who comes over and fights with the Scots. Mm-hmm. He's also in The Departed. He plays one of Costello's goons. He's the guy who's all, "You're a cop. You ignored us because you're a cop." You I'm know, not a cop. You, you know, uh, uh, most good-looking women are cops. Uh, most people on the street, they ignore you. They're a cop. That guy. That's the fucking guy we're talking about. Cop. A cop. I'm not a cop. <laughs> what is a cop? Is I it? believe it's uh, co-opted from the word cooper. It's co-opted. Yeah. The word cop is co-opted. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. There's. I like it. My position on feds is that they're like mushrooms. Feed them shit and keep them in the dock. <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, anyway, uh, good afternoon to our FBI listeners. I apologize for my last comment. Don't raid my house. You can raid mine. I got nothing in it. It's going to stop them. <laughs> That's going to stop a, a formal apology. <laughs> oh, God damn it! he said he was sorry. He told us not to, so uh, call off the cops. <laughs> Did not give us express permission. That's what we were waiting for. Do do we do we recommend this movie? I recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I also recommend it, and I share those sentiments where it's not like, not like drop everything and go fucking watch this movie. But like, if you get an opportunity to watch this movie, fucking watch it. It's neat. It's, yeah, it's a really. I think it's an interesting way to tell a very human story that has been told sort of again and again. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying, I mean, like, it's about a fucking IRA agent. Like, you know, I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying, like, the movie is about the perpetuation of violence and how violence begets more violence. It spreads like a disease. And it's the kind of thing where the context can change, but the story is the same. You know, Boys in the Hood, 
Oh. I feel like this movie is kind of like that, where, like, Boys in the Hood is very much about the cycle of violence and the cycle that poor childhood experiences, like, lead to and, and beget criminalized adult behavior. This movie is really similar in that way. They're just The topic is, is just something different. I don't, would you consider this a popcorn movie? Yeah. I th- honestly, I feel like it was in the 90s. I feel like it's evolved a little bit since then in a good way. Like, under what circumstance would you would you recommend this then? Like, someone walks up to you, like, what is the, you know, reverse that question backwards, you know? Like, I don't know, like, I enjoyed it, but I, it doesn't have the same resounding I recommend it as maybe some of my other ones. To me, no, but this is just like a thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down, are you over yeah. the 50%? Pass, yeah. fail. I feel like I would recommend this to people who enjoy dramatic movies, to yes. people who enjoy crime movies, even war films. But I know a very large group of people who just appreciate some Harrison Ford. Give me back my family! <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like anybody who likes Harrison Ford even a little bit would probably like this movie. If, if you like... Star Wars, you like Star Wars. If you like Indiana Jones, you like Indiana Jones. If you like Harrison Ford, you like you all like, of the above. You like, well, you like those typically, but like you like everything he did in the 90s. Yeah. Like if you say, I like Harrison Ford, you're talking about Air Force One, The Fugitive, Clear and Present Danger. These are the kind of movies, Six Days, Seven Nights, you're talking about those. This fits into that beautifully. Yeah. It's right in the middle. So there you go. Honestly, I'd recommend this to just about anybody. I can't think of, like, a person that, like, I would say maybe steer clear of this. Um, yeah, there's nothing offensive, really. No. I mean, other than just it's the things that, that earned it, it's our rating. It's not offensive. Yeah, I mean, it's violent, but it's, like, it's about an IRA agent. If you don't like violence, maybe don't watch the movie about the violence. I don't know. I feel, like even, I feel like even my mother would enjoy this movie. Which, yeah, it's wholesome. Yeah. I mean... Like, like I, I do said, not I do not know if I would agree with putting my stamp on wholesome. No, it's it's it's, it's like a Harrison Ford wholesome in that his character is never like compromised. No, he is morally incorruptible. Yeah, and so if like if that is your your safety blanket, and I think for some people when they watch a Harrison Ford movie, like have you ever seen Harrison Ford play a bad guy? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Right. He sort of is, like, without the the political connotations, he sort of is, like, the 80s and 90s Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he was just that silver star that, you know, never... Right. So that's what, that, that's <laughs> never what I mean by fell wholesome. from grace. Like, by wholesome, it's the, like, if, if you're going into this and he's your protagonist and he's your, he's your guy, you're going to end up feeling like, okay, I don't want to spoil anything. Well, like Colin said, it's a very human story. Yeah. So if you like deep characters, if you like backstory, and if you like Harrison Ford, you're going to like this movie. Yeah. Which, like, who doesn't like those things? Right? Nobody. I don't want to meet that person. Yeah. Right? That's, that person probably... Is a bad person. A hamster Ugh. with a Morton's toe. Yeah. Or more. Long, rickety hamster toe. That was like legitimately the best insult I could come up with at the time. I'm not on my A game tonight. I'm it's okay. Not, no Long, control. rickety hamster toe. New band name, I call it. <laughs> I feel like that would just be like the worst fucking hipstery band ever like like borderline neutral milk hotel which i have not listened to (laughs) admittedly i have not listened to them maybe they're a great band who knows but like that just screams hipstery like long rickety hamster toe is a band that you would see like in portland where five people are five different colors and they all have dreads yes and you could not actually hear their music because their entire fan base 
has brought their vintage typewriters to the venue and are typing out their novella that everybody just must read. Yeah. That and the sound of denim on denim. <laughs> denim on denim on flannel. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's, let's denim on denim on flannel. New band name, I call it. <laughs> anyway, moving so, forward. So we got a wreck, a wreck, a wreck, a wreck, wreck. Three wrecks all around. Yeah. All yeah. right. This is recommended uh, by three men and a basement, and I think we are ready to. <laughs> like a doppler blend i tried it a little bit different see i feel like you're stepping into my like creepy toad niche that i've tried to carve out for the last episode and you know i had to i had to flee that coop uh move on to something else creepy toad niche and flee that coop are also great band names <laughs> creepy toad leash i mean what else is this voice it's a it's like it's like a toad <laughs> that's we have that on tape now on, see, on tape. On, see, when on... he said creepy toad niche, I thought we were talking about creepy toes, not creepy toad. Oh. So I was like, well, we, it follows, it tracks. We did talk about the old rickety hamster toe. So yeah, I understand. the long rickety hamster toe. I went full toad, like frog and toad. I dig it. Good story, but not the devil's own. Now, do toads do guys... have Morton toes? Or are they Morton toads? That it? Hmm. You guys rickety rolling me right now? Yeah. I'm gonna give you up. <laughs> that's that's where he that's hardest the toad voice. <laughs> yeah. he, he sculpted that from years of Rick rolling people in person. By the way, that's my ringtone. Yeah. So how did this particular movie start? So this movie opened. It's actually, dude. I, I got to give this movie props for like grabbing you right away. It's fucking heavy and dude, I'm th- pretty sure I got whiplash. I know the fir- the very first scene. I like look over and Jackson's eyes are about bugging out of his head. Um, it's it starts off very sweet. Like it's a boy and his father uh, on a fishing boat, and it's really like happy. And there's this traditional Irish music playing in the background. Everybody's smiling. Yeah, everybody's happy. It is this perfect family, and they like go in for dinner, and they're sitting down for for like Sunday supper, and like in the middle of dinner, these three masked men break into the house and shoot like five rounds. Yeah, it was like it was like like three to five rounds into his dad's was it, chest. Was it three guys or was it just one guy? It was just one guy. I think I, I'm gonna go two. Okay, uh, one, two. I'm going to go two with a possible three. I'll go two and a half. No, I'll go two. Uh, Price is right rules. Okay. Uh, I don't want to go over. Either way, the the dad, who was nothing but smiles for like the first five minutes of this movie, is gunned down in front of his whole family, and it's it's so heavy. Yeah, literally, they burst in the door, shoot him like three to five times in the chest, and he dies in his wife's arms while she's like wailing, and the kids are still sitting at the table watching their dad bleed out. It's fucking like heavy. Yeah. Ergo, your R rating. Yeah, yep. yeah, right out of the gate. I like the uh, the cinematography because it, it zooms in on this child's eyes, and then staying within that that scene, it kind of transitions to a, a photograph of an IRA terrorist that, that they're that they're kind of narrating in the background, and it's it's zoomed in on the eyes of this particular guy. They they tell you that it's the same guy without having to tell you it's the same guy. I thought that was that was a good way of doing that. Yeah, for sure. So, cut to the next scene. It's in Belfast. Let's say 18 years later-ish. Yeah. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Turns out that the little boy from the beginning of the film, his father had been killed because he was an 
IRA sympathizer. He was not in the IRA, but he was a sympathizer. So when the boy became old enough, he ended up joining the IRA. And he sort of rose in the ranks. And now he's like this big sort of wanted international terrorist. And Jackson, I think you were about to say SAS is hot on his tail. The SAS is holding a briefing talking about this guy they're like yeah he's killed 11 cops he's killed 14 soldiers this guy needs to be brought down and taken to justice no matter what and so you know these these soldiers and cops roll out and they're ready to take this guy down but they have to find him first they have no idea where he's at from what i could gather they had a group of informants that they were getting their information and pictures from, but it's never really revealed who those informants are. But this guy is, like, very politely, because he's British, frothing at the mouth to get this guy dead. He just wants him dead. Doesn't want justice, just wants him dead. He's also, like, obnoxiously English. Yeah. Like the, right down the, to the, the gap in the teeth and the formation of his lips. Yeah. Who talks like this, old chap? Yeah, we want to. We want him brought to justice. He reminds me of Nigel Thornberry, actually. Uh, except Nigel Thornberry is a fucking baller, yeah. and this dude sucks like monkey dick. Well, Not anything to do with his like position or objective, but just like he's just a douche. He's just a hoity-toity douche. Yep. Like I would much prefer like somebody else be hunting down the terrorists and getting the credit because this dude I feel like is going to like revel in douchery. Revelry. Revel in revelry. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's just like, he was kind of just like the pissy English lord. Like, nobody likes that. All he wants to do is Scrooge McDuck around in a bathtub full of metals. Like, this is this is the guy, this is the kind of guy that clearly, like, several hundred years ago was responsible for, like, a lot of colonialization. Yep. It was this, it was this guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think we can not skip over a couple of scenes but we see a there's a shootout scene brutal um, shootout yeah yeah no it's a pretty epic scene um and epic is maybe the wrong word yeah it's it, it's heavy yeah there are a lot of shots fired and you really get the feel that where uh brad pitt's character is coming from is i mean it's it's basically a war zone i mean it's masquerading as a town yeah i want to like the like go out right now and say like i've got a lot of friends from that area from north I was going to say Northern Ireland, from Northern Iron, and a lot of them are old enough to remember the Troubles and to have, like, lived through a lot of this bullshit, so I want to, like, up front apologize to them if I get anything wrong or, like, you know, misremember something, but, like, hearing some of their stories is fucking horrifying, and Warzone is exactly the way to put it, and, mm-hmm. and even, like, you know, having gone there, having gone to Belfast uh, just even a few years ago, there are buildings that still have bullet holes in them, from assault weapons being fired like you know i mean there's a the street that he's on in the in this like shootout scene there's just like a like before any of the shooting starts there's just a bombed out car just fucking like sitting in the you know bombed out car graffiti everywhere and kids are playing right next to it yeah i mean like i got a family friend who one of his first jobs was to watch for fires at a factory that employed both sides like at the height of the troubles and his whole job was like, basically both sides want to kill us because we employ everybody and just like make sure nobody's throwing Molotov cocktails at us. 
and trying to burn the building down. That's fucked up. Yeah, and he was young too. He was like he was like 14, 15. It's just like that's absolutely insane that that is happening. So yeah, I mean, I mean they and in this shootout scene, I mean, this is not your 9mm Glock squeezing off a couple rounds. I mean, like assault weapons, Kalashnikovs, Uzis, at least two Uzis and at least half a dozen Kalashnikovs, some serious fucking firepower thrown back and forth between the IRA and what is basically like as as one of the guys puts it Half the fucking armies down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had fucking tanks. Yeah, yeah. They had like urban assault vehicles. Um. So Brad Pitt's character gets away from this entanglement. A lot of the people that he was talking to just moments earlier are gone. So you you kind of get the feel that they need this hail mary. And there's this quick scene where he's he's talking with one of his cohorts. I don't know how what his relationship with him. So dude who plays Stephen in Braveheart, O'Hara, yeah. is his first name. But a helicopter kind of flies by, and they, they kind of take cover for a second. Nothing ever comes of it, but you can tell that the helicopter represents a tool that they need a uh, response to. That conversation is kind of the catalyst for the rest of the movie. Yeah, the dude pretty openly says, he's like, we need something to level the playing field. And the guy's like, I've been thinking about that, and I've got a plan. Stinger missiles, that's what we're going to use. And like, if we can bring down the air support that the British government have with Stinger missiles... Maybe they'll that, actually talk peace. Yeah, because at this point in the movie, both sides are viewing each other as talking about peace from their public front, but then fueling like violence subversively. And when one side is clearly stronger than the other, it's never going to stop. Not until one side is completely wiped out. You know, Brad Pitt's character is like, all right, we need to level this playing field so that they realize that they can't just push us over anymore. Well, so yeah, so that's his, that's his perspective is like, they feel like they can strong arm us. So we need to make it seem like we're on even footing so we can we can have negotiations, which is, again, sort of the theme of this movie. It's the mm -hmm. idea that, like, if I can only get violent enough to stop the other person, then there will be no more violence. Right. Then we can talk peace. And it's a recurring theme that it's like, that shit gets really fucking messy really quick. And... Doesn't work. Doesn't work. 99% of the time, all you end up doing is creating more people who want to kill other people on both sides yep yep so uh he makes his way to america and gets set up in the basement of harrison fort he gets hooked up with this irish judge that like sponsors irish youth to like or not youth even like young adults to like come over to the states but like this dude is like clearly bought and paid for yeah, he's he's definitely doing this for IRA members specifically, and it's under the guise of, like, a sponsorship program. Yeah. So yeah. he sets Brad Pitt's character up with Harrison Ford, who's, like, this Irish cop who's... He's into his heritage, and he kind of wants to, like, give back a little bit, so he decides to let this guy crash in his basement mm -hmm. with his family, um, his wife, and three daughters. Yep, yep. He's a cop, and it's pretty quickly established that he's kind of your, your your family guy you know he's your, he's your everyday man um and you can tell that that brad pitt's character is kind of soaking it up there's a, a nice scene at the dinner table where you you watch the family interact and, and brad pitt's just kind of again he's just taking it all in and even though he's there on his own mission like he's he's taking the time to smell the roses and it's it's actually kind of a sweet scene yeah and it's like it's 
very clearly meant to be like reminiscent of that opening scene with where he's sitting with his family thinking back on like the good family dinners that they had the ones where his father wasn't killed yeah. at um, one point there was a very brief moment where harrison ford's character was dishing up his youngest daughter annie and brad pitt's character looks over and is just staring at harrison ford with the, almost this sort of loving admiration like we call that a Steris and Ford. It's a Steris and Ford. That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. Trademark. And <laughs> so he's looking at this and, you know, in in my perception, he was seeing his own father and just remembering fondly. Oh, at the dinner table? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, he was definitely doing that. And they were like, they were pretty heavy handed about it. Like they were not being coy about like... Yeah, these two scenes are meant to be like connected, blah blah blah. But it, like, it's sweet and it's like it works well. Yeah, it works well in like a '90s way. I'm you just know, where glad it's like... that in that scene, nobody you know got shot. Yeah, that was a positive. Yeah, that was. I would put that in the win column. Yeah, every time I I make it through a dinner without getting shot, without getting shot, I'm always like, you know what? Good on me. Yeah, I'm proud of myself. Yeah, I feel like you're saying that sarcastically. What? Are you saying that sarcastically? How dare you? I'm just How dare saying, you, sir? Just wait until the time when it isn't pleasant, okay? And I'm going to point you to this podcast, and if I'm going to rub nickel, your nose in it. If I had a nickel for every time I was shot during dinner... How many nickels would you have? I mean, I would have nickels from other things, not from being shot, but I would have nickels from, like, I have a job. Fair. But I, I got could, a couch. I could, it just generates coins. I could change some of the money that I got in exchange for my work services for nickels and then i would have plenty of nickels so yeah, fuck you true yeah lawyered <laughs> what lawyered a lawyered i think <laughs> okay hang on, hang on, hang on. okay okay hang on i thought you said voyered <laughs> <laughs> and i was like jackson what an amazingly obscure way to like end this, <laughs> this whole exchange voyered you done been looked at <laughs> not in this situation uh, okay. Voyeur. <laughs> you are going to have so much editing to do. I'm leaving all of this in, by yeah. the way. Good. Good. Okay. You're welcome. So, dinner table, lovely. Then we kind of start getting into the, the meat and potatoes, I think, of this movie. I believe it was corned beef and cabbage. It was corned beef and cabbage. Yeah. It was, I don't know, is that... Is it's, it? not, it's not racist. <laughs> It's delicious is what it is. Oh, God, I love corned beef. It's so good. I love it so much. Especially leftover when you put it on a sandwich. I don't, like, I purposely don't buy corned beef because, like, I'm not even joking. I could eat an entire corned beef by myself. I make my own corned beef. I don't remember the last time I had corned beef. (gasps) I mean, I remember eating corn and I remember eating beef. Oh, Mm. then you've had it. Yeah, it's the same. Bone apple teeth. Osteoporosis. Salmonella. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so way off topic here. Well, yeah. not really. I mean, there was actually so in that dinner scene, they were, we're eating corned corn beef and cabbage. It and, was an exchange, and it was really funny because like they were like, he was like, well, "That meat looks really good. What is it?" And she's like, "It's corned beef." Like, isn't this all you guys eat? And he's like, "No, no, never I've had. never had this," and which is very accurate to my experience it's with true. my Irish friends, is they certainly do not eat corned beef and cabbage. Which is like, I'm sorry, Irish friends, like your loss because corned beef is fucking amazing. It's just corned beef, ca- cabbage, boiled potatoes, and boiled carrots. Oh, I would eat that every day. And you don't even need to like 
season it all that much. Just salt and pepper, and it's fine. Yeah. Voyard. 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 Been watching. <laughs> Been watching this. We should change the name of this podcast to Voyard. <laughs> we have been watching movies so yeah it it doesn't really enter a montage sequence per se but it is like mark said the meat and potatoes of the movie where basically brad pitt's character is attempting to purchase these stinger missiles from this like shady character billy burke billy burke played by xander drax um because i can't remember his real name and basically He's doing that, and he's also trying to repair a boat with a friend, colleague, former... Sean. With a Sean. Sean. He's got a with, Sean. He's got a Sean, and they're trying to repair this boat, basically, with the idea that they will load it up with these missiles once it's seaworthy, and they're going to, like, drive it back to Ireland. Um, meanwhile, he's getting kind of close to Harrison Ford's family. I think it's tempering some of his more, like, aggressive tendencies a little bit. Uh, he's not like particularly aggressive, but like he definitely has thought of nothing but the mission. You can't see my hands, but I'm doing air quotes, the mission for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And now he's finally got something else to focus on. And I think he's enjoying it. Um, he's getting close to Harrison Ford, yada, yada. Harrison Ford is under the impression that he actually works at a construction site. And meanwhile, he's actually going every day to repair this boat and, and do this thing. Yeah, where do we go from there? He meets the girl. There's a girl. Megan. Megan, who's gorgeous. Megan is That's the aside. sister of his friend that started him on this mission of the Stinger missiles. He, you know, runs into her at the house of the guy that brought him in. You know, Fitzsimmons was the, the guy that sponsored him. He, you know, they're all sort of connected through the IRA. And Michael's still back at home. Megan is stateside. And so he, he runs into her, and she's sort of his secret informant to the IRA. And like Colin said, she is a stone-cold fox. Yeah. She supplies him with the money, too, from the IRA that he is then to give to this uh, other organization to procure the missiles. So, like, she she plays this role where, like, she almost like she's an outsider looking in but like really when you look at the beats of the movie she's very much in it she's know? the middle yeah man. yeah um she's very much a part of the organization and she kind of facilitates so he he gets the money from her through her sources and he meets his contact the weapons yeah i think the next probably like big scene that should be mentioned is the gentleman from braveheart and the departed who helped him and was like it was his idea for the stinger missiles and all that shit. He ends up getting like arrested in Ireland and they don't know how much they know about the operation. So like every, basically the word from the IRA is to like cool the shit until things calm down. He tells this to the other guy, the, the guy he's buying the missiles off of who does not take it well. And basically ends up like raiding the house he's staying at looking for the money. Mm -hmm. He also kidnaps Sean, his, the guy he's working on the boat with and now Brad Pitt needs to get the money to the guy so Sean can get released. And I think we're at the climax of the movie. We, we breeze, less, we breeze through much. this one pretty quick. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you know, Harrison Ford is, is doing his, you know, Ford thing. Uh, ironically, he drove a Buick in this movie. Just Harrison around. Yeah. Um, Should have called him Harrison Buick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this gig is Ford's a car company. Right. <laughs> 
Wow. Oh, classic. I, I really feel bad anybody listening to this. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, um, I should I should mention. Sorry, I don't mean to jump in here, good. but while we're while we're doing like the Harrison Ford doing Harrison Ford things, there were like a several like there were several choice scenes where you saw sort of Ford's moral incorruptibility. I think that it starts off very easy with like there's this like chase scene where like four cops, including Ford, are like barreling down the street like trying to catch this kid and it's he leads them on this like wild goose chase he ends up getting him and they fucking find out that like he stole a pack of condoms from a corner store like, like a he, corner broke, store. He, he he was a pack of like three condoms yeah guy claimed to be 15 not 15 not 15 but well, he, what he said that was a lie <laughs> but this like rookie cop see, sees him like steal his pack and just like freaks out and it's just like this whole thing and harrison ford like sort of showing his temperance was like dude fucking let him go like stupid kid like trying to he just wanted condoms and he felt weird buying them so like let fucking let this kid go we've all been there yeah we've all wait what you with sex no Oh, being chased by the cops. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, done yeah. that dozens, dozens of times. Yeah, yeah. No, the sex thing though. No, that's maybe one day, maybe one day. Yeah. I mean, come on. If we were having sex, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. That's for real. <laughs> what do you think happens when we turn this off? Whoa. We don't actually. We just go home. We do. Um, <laughs> it's really anticlimactic. We don't. We just go home. Oh, we're trying to convince them of that. We're convincing. We're convincing. We are being sincere. Sin. Seer. We put the wow. sin in sincere. Voyard. Bam. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, but, but you're right. You're right. There are several scenes where it like establishes Harrison Ford as being, you know, who we all know Harrison Ford is in real life. Um, another one of those scenes is, um, they're, they're chasing this guy. This guy turns around with a gun. Um, this is way out of context, but it's just them, him, Harrison Ford and his partner on the beat. They're, they're just going, um, down the streets. Um, they find this man carjacking, um, uh, boosting stereos. stereos. Yeah. Um, guy uh, pulls out a gun, shoots in their direction, just starts taking off. He, he throws the gun away. Harrison Ford um, stops, grabs the gun. It kinda, you kind of get the impression that he, now that the gun's off off the board, that Harrison Ford is not going to really dig into it any further. Not, not, he, he's he's, he's kind of given up the chase a little bit. Um, but his partner um, doesn't But he have just didn't want the guy armed. Yeah. And, like, you don't, you know this as the, as the viewer, but he doesn't know this. But the dude actually just found the gun in the car. It's not like he brought the gun with him to. Yeah, yeah, he's not. A, he's not a bad human being. He's a, just trying to boost a stereo. Anyway, the the guy keeps running, and the partner has no idea that he's ditched the gun and ends up drawing his weapon and shooting this fleeing man. Shoots him in the back, kills him. Eventually, Harrison Ford uh, meets up with him, and it's quickly revealed to the partner this man did not have a gun. You shot him in the back, and his partner tries to pressure him into fabricating a story where um, where he he was defending himself. He even throws the this gun on the on the ground next to this criminal. Um, 
anyway, this is this is the long way of of just trying to illustrate Harrison Ford's character in this movie. He ends up um, lying for his partner, but then is so crippled by the guilt of what he's done that he makes plans to retire. So it, you really, really underline the, the the fact that that this is he's a he's a good man. And I think it's even said you're a good man several times in the movie. Yeah, I just I just wanted to, that was that was really powerful like that, to me. I that, to that scene up. is so important too because it's like it's a really hard scene to dissect. Like filmmakers are very. They're typically very open about which side you should be on. And this whole movie is is sort of rife with this like, oh, well, clearly this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing. But goddamn, there's some gray area in there. You know, and it yeah. like this scene was like, like the wrong, morally the wrong thing was what the cop did. Mm-hmm. You do not shoot somebody in the back. The person is running away. They're fleeing. Even if they're armed, you don't shoot somebody in the back. Like... That's that's the end result. That's wrong. And that's the, the side... Ends, the ends don't justify the means. Right. That's the side we're coming down on. However, the situation was not... Like, not that this excuses it. It doesn't. But the situation is more complicated than just, like, a cop saw somebody on the street and shoots them in the back. Like, this dude did fire a weapon at cops... Like, multiple times, that dude was responding to the notion that, like, somebody literally just, like, opened fire on me. Yeah. Uh, he was chasing the guy down, had no idea the guy had ditched the weapon. The guy was running into, like, about to, run, like, get away and run into a public area. Again, doesn't excuse the behavior, but it's certainly, like... I don't know what I would do. I, I'm not going to say it doesn't shift the needle, like, closer towards the center of, like, moral ambiguity. Doesn't doesn't tip it into the other realm. It doesn't say like it's okay to do it, but it's it's certainly not completely one sided. On like, oh well, obviously this is the this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. Like they're not they're not wearing you know white and black hats and and you know the bad guy isn't just like foaming at the mouth spitting tobacco. Right. Like he's a dude who like is not a bad dude. He's just like he's got some as Harrison Ford put it some punk shit on his records, you know, like mm-hmm. boost and stereos, not a bad guy finds himself in a really bad situation where like the cops find him right after he found a gun in a car and he and- panics fires. The cops get spooked. They chase him. Everybody's fucking like scared and panicky. Tension and, like, is sky high. Yeah, right now. dude, it's, it's a weird fucking scene. And like, well, I, mean, I feel like it very well illustrates the vibe of this movie. And that's just it. Like, this guy thought that he would get away clean because rip, you know, rip the stereo out, shut the car door, shove it in your pocket and walk away. And, you know, he gets caught in the act, panics, and this dude's life is already bad enough he's stealing stereos. So it's only going to get worse if he goes to jail. So, of course, he's like, oh, shit, what do I do? And just he has the gun in his hand, so he fires back. You know, it's just one of those, like, instinctive things. So... It definitely ramps up the tension for the movie, but it also sets the tone for what comes to follow. It really, yeah, it really does. Because the cop's saying, like, he was shooting at us. He was, you know, of course, you know. And that that is the broader theme of the movie, you know. Um, Violence begets violence. Yeah, yeah. And so even though we almost didn't even talk about this scene, like, I'm glad that we did because it it really is just kind of a, a micro view 
the filmmakers did a great job of bleeding their theme into multiple kind of mini narratives throughout the the movie at large yeah so um i think coming on the heels of that scene we basically got to talk about like after this raid of the house harrison ford's house that that brad pitt was staying at harrison ford realizes that nothing's missing out of their house and the only room that's really ransacked is the basement where Pitt is staying. So he realizes, like, they're after Brad Pitt's character or something that he has. So he basically, like, searches the basement, ends up finding this bag full of money that's meant to buy the missiles. He waits for Brad Pitt to show up. And when he does, he arrests him with his partner. He calls over the, the partner that the partner that killed that guy. And they end up taking him in. And on their way in, the car is stopped. Pitt ends up like getting his handcuffs from behind his back, like to the front, incapacitates Harrison Ford and takes his gun, goes outside the car. And in like the buddy cop goes to pull his weapon. Pitt says, don't pull your weapon. Like chill. The guy pulls his weapon anyway. Pitt fires and kills the guy, which I think is supposed to be the movie's sort of like recompense for murdering that guy shooting him in the back Mm -hmm. like the partner ends up getting his own in the end i don't know i what i the way i personally took it i think you're probably right but the way i took it was it it kind of takes brad pitt's you know his his character piece if you will and it kind of moves him from protagonist and puts him into almost like a force of nature like in that you're not meant to relate to brad pitt's character you're meant to view him as just a, a product of his environment of someone who he does the things that he does because of the path that he was placed in because there's, there's i think, that, there's I think you're right thing. i think you're right but i think it's also like it's like a both and kind of thing like i think i think it's ser- it serves as recompense for that dude killing the other dude but it also serves the function of like illustrating kind of like what you were saying brad pitt's character for what he is in the beginning you get a pretty fucking you get it you get a healthy dose but at the same time you don't really explicitly see it and none of the characters are named, which yeah, makes it very easy to like sweep it under the rug. But you're still like, this dude's a fucking terrorist. This dude's like out here in the street with a fucking Kalashnikov, like firing on officers Police of the law. Soldiers, yeah. yeah, like he's killing people. But you're really empathizing then, with him despite uh, that. N- yeah, well, they started it's, off with the with the with the murder of his dad. I think that like yeah, but I feel like it's it's I feel like it it starts off with a little bit of sympathy, and then after that scene, like the big shootout, it kind of tracks the other direction, and then over like the course of the most of the movie, it tracks back again, and you start feeling like more sympathy. But before, so like it's supposed to teach you that sympathy for like where he came from, what what happened, why he ended up the way he did, but like. This scene was very strategic in that it brought the needle back to the other side to be like, no, but don't forget this fucking dude kills people. Well, and like this other- is what he fucking does. Like I'm not saying it's it's the 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 end all to be all of who he is as a person. It's more complicated than that. It's more gray than that. He's more than just a murderer, but that doesn't make him not a murderer. Right? Yeah, when when the cards are on the table, he is in a foreign country to purchase, you know, stinger missiles to fight the government that, that you know, that he lives in. So, yeah, I, I think really brought that back. And I think the other yeah. thing is um, we as the viewer got to see him at his dark side. You know, we got to see him in that shootout. We got to see him planning to buy these stinger missiles and hiding from the government and, you know, going to safe houses and lying and faking passports and all this shit. Like, we can see him doing all that, you know, bad guy stuff. 
But Harrison Ford didn't see any of that. He saw a sweet young man from Ireland who escaped a bad situation. And so now that Harrison Ford has found this bag of money... Which is also kind of true. Like, he was like a... He was a pretty nice guy yeah. from Ireland escaping a bad situation. Yeah. Like, none of that's inaccurate. It's right. just like... He's there's also a murderer. There's a whole lot of other context, including, by the way, the guy kills people that needs to be fed into... You know, right. yeah, totally, totally. And so, so Harrison Ford watches Brad Pitt's character shoot his friend and partner in the chest and kill him in front of his eyes. And so at this point, you know, Harrison Ford gets a very healthy dose of how dangerous this man is. Mm -hmm. And that moves the plot more forward and just speeds it along because now they are enemies. Because at first it was, okay, you're doing some shady shit. You got a bag of money. A bunch of criminals came in, beat up me and my wife to get to you and you put my life in danger you put my family in danger now i've got to put you away now it's moved to you escaped custody and killed my friend and partner you shot a cop and now you're going to continue to do some shady shit with that money you know what's funny though is okay so you use the word enemy and like i'm totally gonna pick apart on semantics here because yeah, i think it. i think you could definitely like I, th I think you could make a strong argument for what you said but i'm just gonna like play devil's advocate for a minute and i almost feel like a better word would be adversaries because for some reason, like I feel like enemy is very emotional. Mm -hmm. Like if I view you as my enemy, I am like po actively pouring hatred into my view of you and it's coloring my actions. Whereas I feel like adversary is the only word I can think of, but like when you have an adversary, that doesn't necessarily mean you hate them. It doesn't necessarily mean like they're your enemy. It means like you have competing interests and your interest is to stop them from accomplishing theirs. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is really explicit about Harrison Ford's willingness to accept and forgive, even after some really, like, fucked up shit happens, like his family gets put in danger. He still sees Brad Pitt for what he is, as a product of his own environment, as this kid who saw his dad murdered and has just been on the warpath for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Well, he makes the comment that... Um... You know, if I saw my dad gunned down in front of me when I was eight years old, I would have a gun on me, too. Yeah, and... I wouldn't have a badge. I wouldn't have a badge. <laughs> yeah, he makes that... Yeah, he does. And and that's just it. It's like, I feel like Harrison Ford's perspective is the one that the filmmakers wanted the viewer to take away, was like, just because people do bad things doesn't make them bad people. But that also does not mean that they don't have to account for what they've done mm -hmm. or, or um, atone for what they've done. I get why you're doing what you're doing, but you're still doing it, and you're and still it's going still to wrong. you're still still wrong, and you're still going to fucking jail. Like, yeah, heavy stuff. So at this point, we move forward with classic Harrison Ford chasing down the bad guy action. You know, he's he's looking for Brad Pitt's character. You know, he's trying to track him down, do the whole catch me if you can, because obviously he runs off from this altercation, and they part ways. Are we are we gonna? Are we going to talk about the next scene? Oh. I feel like we have to. We definitely have to. What's the head? So, <laughs> so, Brad Pitt's character has the money and decides, not decides, He's he meets. Oh, no, he, he doesn't have the money. Because in that scene, in the, going back here, where he murders right. the, yep. the partner, the money is in the, the trunk of the car that he's being hauled to jail in. Very what, true, yep. And Harrison Ford snaps the key off to the <laughs> trunk. So what Brad Pitt's character is facing is he still has to meet these, let's just call them the mob. 
You know, I don't think it's yeah. ever actually yeah. identified, but he has to meet up with the mob and he doesn't have any money to do it with, but he still has to save his friend. And there's no way that he could get the money in order to do it. No, I mean, it's a lot of money. It's like t- millions of dollars. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> those, that's those where the pieces sit as we go into the scene. So he shows up with this bag that is money. As far as like anybody else is concerned, Brad Pitt knows it's not walks into this warehouse and basically, like, there are dudes everywhere with guns and shit, and the bad dude is like, you know, here are your missiles, they're in this truck, like, give me the money and you'll get the missiles. And he's like, yeah, but I want to see Sean first. I want to make sure he's okay. And the dude, like, nods to one of his henchmen, and the henchman goes to the car and pulls out a fucking human head and throws it at Brad Pitt's feet. Yeah. They straight up beheaded his friend and threw his head at him. Voyard. Voyard. What's in the box? What's in the box? It's not in the box. No, it's not in the box. But yeah, no, shit gets real. You know, like there's a thud. Honestly, as much as I actually really liked that scene, because it was like fucking crazy, and I love that. I love that out of left field, like give me a one-two punch to the face kind of thing. But it definitely broke with the sort of vibe of the movie, the theme of the movie. I think it illustrated how dangerous the people he was dealing with were, and it sort of gave him this all bets are off uh, type mentality. But it definitely was was objectively, I feel like, more brutal than some of the earlier shit. Even though, like, it's plenty brutal, like, mowing down people in gunfire, and that's not okay, and, you know, bombs going off and shit. Um, But it's like, it was a little bit more stylized, whereas, like, Throwing a head is definitely throwing a fucking head. Like I will say, if I have any criticisms, I liked how this movie kind of weaved a story where our antagonist was also sort of like a protagonist, but clearly an antagonist at the end, and how it, it gave dimensions to an otherwise two-dimensional terrorist. These mob characters, and again, they, they don't call themselves the mob or whatever, but they're clearly meant to be the one-dimensional bad guys. Yeah. Um, so I guess that that might be a criticism a little bit from me in that it doesn't fit within the broader theme of the movie. I mean, it it wasn't bad. You know, it, it was entertaining. And, and It's like and, a little bit of a double standard, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, these guys were clearly just meant to be the bad guy yeah. in a movie where the bad guy is supposed to be this three-dimensional character that you can sort of empathize with. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one thing that, like, you could probably defend it argumentatively and say, like, it's important to have the two-dimensional characters so your perspective on them is... Because that's that's what you're going to be exposed to most people is, like, a very... You're going to have a very shallow view of most people that you interact with. And, like, the, the lesson this is trying to teach you is, like, people's motivations and the reason for doing things, even horrible things, oftentimes are simple and very understandable and very relatable. Mm-hmm. And the two-dimensional characters, some might say, are necessary for you to sort of practice what you've, you know, learned to preach and say, like, okay, let it at least flash across my mind what these guys may have experienced growing up or what type of, like, you know, a lot of people don't talk about this, but what type of, like, biological hang-ups they might be dealing with you know you're just born with like a pathological lack of empathy like that's not it's not your fault no but you're definitely still on the hook if that leads to you doing some horrible shit to other people you know but yeah i i again argumentatively you might be able to defend it but i completely agree it definitely like 
it feels out of tone with and the rest of the movie. I, I don't think it took anything away. Like when I was watching the scene, I, I didn't groan. You know, it didn't pull me out. You know, it wasn't this. This isn't a blemish on the movie. But now that we're sitting here and like, you know, waxing about it, you know, it doesn't necessarily fit with the broader theme. But it, I know you said it, it kind of stuck out to you a little bit. Um, the head did. The head did. The head struck me as like a break in theme. Like it, it, it was just abjectly more brutal than I, the rest of the movie, I feel like. I would like to issue a sort of counterpoint. The government here is fighting to take this part, and the IRA is fighting back to take this part. They both feel like they have a right to this. And then you cut to America, and the good guys are the cops. The bad guys are the mob. We have very clear-cut good guys, very clear-cut bad guys. Mm. And so... While you guys said that it didn't really fit with the with the broader tone of the movie, I feel like it makes sense based on the setting because you've got the cops that are enforcing the law, you've got the bad, you know, the mob that's breaking the law, and they're very clearly doing some horrible, awful shit and not really a whole lot of the good stuff. And then you've got the cops who are doing a whole lot of the good stuff, and then there's a couple bad seeds that you know I don't know shoot an unarmed man in the back. But very clear, cut and dry, good, bad guys. Whereas, you know, where he came from, the good and the bad was sort of a gray area. Yeah, I, I, fair. Yeah, I do think your point lands that, like, the, the line between good and bad is far more distinct in the United States. Not objectively or in, like, reality, but in the movie. Like they draw that, they draw that line hard. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, it's, it's far more gray in the way it's depicted in Ireland. Yeah. I mean, in the all, movie. I in mean, the movie, yeah, it, yeah. It's all a matter of perspective, but yeah. No, I, I'll, I'll accept that counter-argument. But I still feel like... No, I, I like, see what you're saying, yeah, though. Like, 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 I think you're, you're, what you're saying like is right in that it's definitely like if anybody was going to c- cut a fucking head off in this movie... It would be these guys. It was these guys because these guys are the bad baddies. Um, but still, to cut a fucking head but off? But still, like, just the, it just felt like the tone shifted really quick there. And then shifted back, and it was just like... It, it just felt like, at the end of that scene, I was sitting there, I was like, right, so, is nobody gonna talk about the fact that they sawed a human head off? Like, and that they drove it here. And threw it! The, 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 my immediate thought, when he pulled the head out and threw it at Brad Pitt's feet, was, so they just fucking drove here with a with a head in the back seat, like, no box, no suitcase, no bag. Yeah, it was they, were, just, they were just waiting for the bit. Just or, a head rolling around in the seat. Or did they kill, or did they, was the guy there alive, and they were like, oh shit, he's gonna be here any minute. Come on, hurry, saw his head off, hurry, 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 Or like, ah, oh, fuck, he's running late, what should we give him? Ah, uh, let's just cut his head off. Yeah, right, like. Was he already dead before they took his head off? I don't know. What were the, what were the, what was the sequence of events that led to this head coming out of a car window and being thrown at Brad Pitt's feet? Well, in the last altercation, he, he had the shit beat out of him, he was tied up. And thrown in the trunk of a car. Missing yes, fingers. but still very missing much missing fingers. Yes. Missing fingers. He I didn't see that. Finger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh shit. Oh for sure. But still very much alive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay. Here's Head a... attached to his body. Yes. Can we can we take Harrison Ford's you know lovely message of you know I'm not looking to kill the bad guy. I want to bring him in. You know I'm he he's definitely like a pacifist cop. You know not in like a debilitating way, but like in a I have a job to do and it's not to kill people. It's such a weird position to take. Like, does yeah. that same <laughs> does that same patience and like 
Does that hold up for the guy cutting off the man's head? <laughs> to protect and serve lead. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, well, no, there's a great line in there. I, I don't think it's it's anybody's quotes or anything, but like we're we're in the protect and serve business. Or we're, we're cops. You know, we're not we're not doing this for vengeance. I forget exactly how it goes yeah. off. But like there's definitely that theme. Does his sentiment extend to the <laughs> fuck? What was that quote? We got no, we got to get that quote right because uh, we're in the police. Like, we're in the police business, Eddie. Not the revenge business. Yeah, and he says it in, like, the grizzled Harrison Ford mid-90s way. Oh, it's so good. I think he had blood on his collar <laughs> and, like... <laughs> We're in the police business, Eddie. Not the revenge business. Yeah. It's like, goddamn. Brutal. Yeah. But does that extend to the, the guys <laughs> cutting people's heads off? Or does it only extend to the three-dimensional Brad Pitt? I don't know. That's, that's a good question. I just... Yeah, that's my, um... I mean... If you were a cop and you saw somebody sawing another person's head off, would you use lethal force? I mean, I would, but what if you only saw them tossing a head? Maybe they weren't the actual lumberjack. Mm, mm, yeah, that's and, that's more of a gray matter area. Because mm. <sighs> brains, yeah. they're gray matter. Because they're part of a head. Whoa. Are they actually gray, though? Because I have like, no idea. Yeah. Like, how yes. gray? Like, pretty gray. Like, pretty fucking gray. Does it have to be dried before it's gray? Or nope. is it still liquid gray? Nope, it's it's pretty gray. Isn't it more of a gelatin? I don't... I'm not familiar with the exact consistency. It's like custard. Oh, like general custard? Or a more of a specific custard? <laughs> oh yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Brad Pitt gets the missiles. Oh, I guess we didn't cover. He ends up taking out everybody. Uh, Kills all the bad bad. It is spectacular yeah. shootout. Brad pitted him, and uh, has his missiles take some uh, takes him to the boat. And this happens at about the same time. I think that Harrison Ford starts catching up with him and wearing blue on blue on blue on blue. And he's a he's he's a blue badge. He's literally wearing blue jeans, a blue shirt, and, and a, a blue, blue jacket. jacket. He's the most mid nineties dad cop. Well, like, he is yeah. he is a blue blood, the, so. It's just, in one scene, he's wearing a nondescript maroon baseball cap. Dude, no and one. And a white where, t-shirt. Where do you get that? No one can rock t-shirt tucked into blue jeans like Harrison Ford. It's true. Like he, The only thing he was missing cool. was a denim jacket. No, he was also missing grass-stained white New Balance. That's true. Uh, he needed those shoes in order to complete the dad ensemble. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Um, okay. Boat scene, climax of the movie, I think. I think we're ready to move into this. Yes. This? Yeah. Um, so Brad Pitt's loading up the missiles, starting up the boat. Starts taking off, actually. Harrison Ford catches him at the dock, runs the pier, hops the boat. There's sort of a standoff. They both end up shooting each other, one more fatally than the other. And then they have a they have a tender moment once... Once the, the violence is done, you guys want to add anything to that? I mean, that I think that was that was a pretty touching scene. At the end, there was definitely like a camaraderie. He reminds him again, rather Brad Pitt reminds Harrison Ford, you know, that you're a good man. He tells him about his dad. It's a very human moment. I did want to mention earlier in the movie, right after the shooting um, of the uh, innocent, well, the unarmed man. Um, he was not innocent. He stole a stereo. No, I'm not laughing because of that. I'm laughing because you said like unarmed man, and it sounds dangerously close to one armed man. It's true. And no, he had two arms. The did. mob didn't cut anything off that time. 
after the shooting. I was going for the fugitive, but yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess mob too. <laughs> after the shooting, uh, Harrison Ford gets pissed drunk in a bar, and Brad Pitt picks him up and takes him home. And in the car, they're talking about being, you know, who they are. And Brad Pitt's character asks him in a very real moment, I think sort of hoping that he's too drunk to remember the next day, asks him if if he's ever shot anyone. Mm -hmm. And Harrison Ford says no. And he turns around and says, have you ever shot anyone? And there's this real quiet pause. And then he just starts talking about what happened with his dad. But... In this final scene where they're on the boat having this tender moment, Brad Pitt doesn't say anything, but he just kind of gives Harrison Ford a look because it's revealed after Harrison Ford peels back Brad's jacket that he's been shot, and Brad just kind of looks at him with this knowing look of, well, now you've shot somebody. Guess you don't shot somebody. And, you know, it, it was just, it was just, I don't know, it was nice for me to notice that because... Brad Pitt's character did not forget. Mm-hmm. I it didn't was, pick up on that, but I now that you're you're kind of re you're going through it, yeah, hundred percent. It was a very big thing for Harrison Ford to be a cop for twenty three years without shooting anyone. He's fired his weapon four times and never shot anyone. And then in this last confrontation, he ends up shooting someone that he considered to be a friend. Yeah, this movie also was surprisingly playful mm-hmm. I, I know it's a weird thing to say about like the movie that we just described but there are a lot of scenes that are like very jovial and like joking and a lot of playing and like fucking around mm-hmm. which is kind of I, I don't know what that's meant to illustrate but it certainly like adds a deal of levity to the movie and i think is the reason why it doesn't feel as heavy as it actually does mm-hmm. yeah so credits roll and uh and that's the movie yeah one other thing i wanted to mention on this movie was like the score and the soundtrack like the score first of all whoever did the score i would be shocked if it was not the same person who did the score for braveheart mm. um like the two things like there was there were like i want to say it was the Ulian pipes don't quote me on that there were uh, there was some type of <laughs> winded reed instrument that plays sort of haunting ditties especially in like the the scenes in ireland and then during the more like tense scenes which, which, which is exactly what happens in braveheart and also during the more tense scenes there is this i honestly don't know what it is it's like somebody playing jugs it goes like it's like like it's it's really like it's a very effective uh oh, technique but it's exactly what they do in Braveheart, where, like, um, in that scene where they attack the first keep and ended up, you know, burn it to the ground. Like, the lead-up to that, that's the sound that's playing. It's the exact same sound. I feel like the person is probably the same. Uh, and also, soundtrack, um, there was some Sinead O'Connor on there. There was some pretty, pretty solid um, musical acts kind of peppered in. Again, a little bit heavier on the front end of the movie than the back end. Mm-hmm. But enjoyable and something I, you know, sort of picked out this time watching. Absolutely. Are we Laura Dern with this? Are we ready to to rate? Yeah. Let's do it. Are we rating first? Or do you want to do quotes first? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's do quotes first. Let's do quotes first. All right. All right. So I had two this week. My, uh, my first one. Uh, this takes place, again, this is in the meat and potatoes of the movie. Um, the corned beef and cabbage. Yes, the corned beef. And the cabbage. Um, <laughs> everybody saw Full it. fucking Casanova Frankenstein yes. on us. Um, nobody really knows what's going on as far as like Harrison Ford's family. And they're at a, a party or a get-together. 
and uh, Brad Pitt is meeting Harrison Ford's partner for the first time, and he makes the comment, "You must be, uh, you must be the sidekick. I'm the guy who lives under the stairs." <laughs> you know, I I enjoyed that because it, it kind of set the table for kind of what was to what was to follow. Um, this movie was very much uh, it's not not cat and mouse, but like the the whole movie is based on the the principal characters not knowing what is going on, or at least as as far as, as Harrison Ford is concerned. Anyhow, my second one. This comes up a, a couple of times in the movie, and it's it's kind of a theme for it. But the the quote, "Don't expect a happy ending." This isn't an American story. It's an Irish one, and I think that plays pretty nicely into what your your counter argument earlier that this story is not cookie cutter. Uh, it's not going to end pleasantly because you know Brad Pitt's character comes from a place where things don't end pleasantly. The the good guys die all the time. The bad guys die all the time. Like there isn't everything is everything is very gray, um, and so it doesn't matter who comes out on top. Good people come out on bottom. Those are my quotes. Uh, what do you guys got? Uh, I got two. I got when Brad Pitt first gets to the house, Harrison Ford in his very like grumpy, grizzled 90s dad voice says, oh, it's good to have someone around here that peace standing up. <laughs> yeah. This is a good one. He needed a friend. It's just like him and his wife and his three daughters. <laughs> and then my other one is from The Bad Baddie. When Brad Pitt meets him for the first time, Brad Pitt says... So, uh, when can we take possession? And the guy goes, Possession? These ain't egg rolls you just ordered. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> these, are not, these are not stinger missiles getting served up hot. <laughs> what are you talking about? The side oh. of sour cream. Uh, I, got, I got a couple this week. So, that touching family dinner scene where they're you know sitting down they're getting ready to eat and they say grace and they have the little girl say grace and she says this pretty cookie cutter prayer she's probably said it a thousand times and then right at the the tail end of it she tacks on and i hope rory likes the basement because i don't <laughs> it was pretty cute <laughs> it's adorable and then uh my my second quote they are at the bar that they go to multiple times and they're irish yeah, it's a pub. <laughs> and, uh... That's what they call it. <laughs> yeah! It's a pub. So, Harrison Ford's, uh, got some friends, or acquaintances, people he knows, at the bar, and, you know, he challenges them to a game of pool, and they're just kind of throwing insults back and forth at each other. And at one point, I don't remember what the character actually said to incite this line, but he basically goads Harrison Ford into a game of pool with Rory slash Frankie and uh, Brad Pitt's character. And Harrison Ford just looks at this Italian guy and he says, throw the milk in the cooler, Joey. And then he gets up and just starts playing pool. <laughs> yeah. He's like, they went out for a fucking, like, gallon of milk, and they ended up at the bar, drinking, and then he fucking, like, like, the like the bartender's is lackey, because this, like, this, these two Italian associates show up, <laughs> challenge him to pull his, put the, put the milk in the cooler, Joey. We're rolling up our sleeves. Got yeah. some business to do. Yeah. <laughs> Proceeds to wipe the floor with them. Oh, jeez. Brad Pitt does. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much weight Harrison Ford was pulling. Didn't have much of an opportunity. No. Yeah. Okay. So are we? Are we now? Are we Laura Dern with us now? I believe we're Laura Dern. All right. Are we ready to to rate? 
I'm right. You're irate? I'm right. <laughs> God damn it. Mark will never be able to get beyond the demented goat. <laughs> Everything's a fucking bit. <laughs> All Ten right. millimeter socket. Uh what what kind of rating you got there, Mr. Jackson? Um <clears throat> Now was that metric? <laughs> <laughs> I I think I would give this a solid seven point two potatoes. Nice. Seven point two potatoes. Potatoes. Potato. I think for this bad boy, I might go um I am gonna go six point six stingers. Perhaps of the missile variety. Yeah. A lot of stingers out there, but these ones are specifically the, uh, the missile stingers. I am going to have to go with a 6.7 boxes of condoms. Nice. There was another one that I wanted to throw out that I, I was hoping one of you would mention, and you didn't, and I was a little sad, but now I'm glad that I get to say it. I was, have severed heads. I was going to say severed heads. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. It's like it had, I thought it might have been a little too graphic. It had crossed my mind, and I was like, "Oh, everybody's saying really like, like not, really cute, yeah, not that's a potatoes." <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so severed human head and viscera. Um, all right. Uh, also, could have gone with big ass bags of money. Big ass bags of money. That's also that's the other name for this podcast. Yes. All right, are we ready to Barack and roll Obama? I believe so. Have we baked this potato? This Thoroughly. Irish potato. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for joining us. That is all for the All Crep Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews, email us at three. That is the number three, meninabasement at gmail.com. Uh, also check out Denim on Denim on Flannel on tour uh, starting in April, I believe. As well as uh, Long Rickety Hamster Toes. Yes, I think Long Rickety Hamster Toes are opening for Denim yes. on Denim on Flannel. Yes. You can also find us on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. Until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark up. Action Jackson. And uh, all right, we'll see you in cyberspace. You just got voyeured. Ooh.